What's going on, Asymmetry? How is everybody doing? Had a stellar conversation with Asis Insunza, a Mexican bonsai practitioner who has a really deep knowledge of bonsai's beginnings in Mexico, uh, an understanding of the cultural influences and how they're playing out in the art throughout Mexico and the Central and South American region, and really kind of dove deep into what the Mexican culture has to contribute to bonsai and how it's going to offer a different aesthetic. And I love this conversation. I love the impact of culture and how bonsai is transitioning to have its own nuanced character, depending on where it is practiced. Sit back, relax, enjoy. It's a good one. What's the, how, how, what's the appropriate pronunciation of your name? Assis. Assis. Okay. Do you remember the Fifth Element movie? Yeah. Like Assis Light. Ah, nice. <laughs> and what, how do you say your the last same. name? Insunsa. Insunsa. Yeah, it's a Basque name from Spain. Oh, very cool. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, and just for, for all of our listeners, where are you calling from? Where where are you located right now? I am located in Mexico City. Mexico City, very cool. Yeah, very cool. So, I mean, uh, I just I really appreciate you being willing to sit down and talk with us because my knowledge and when this whole conversation came about, you had uh, reached out and <clears throat> Eva let me know about your email. And I was just thinking, you know, one of the countries that I think has so much potential, and I don't know anything about the bonsai culture, is Mexico. And uh, and then and literally within a few days of having had that conversation with Eve, you emailed us, and it was like, whoa, outstanding. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've always been curious about this. I mean the you know the imaginary lines that divide the united states and mexico it's it's just like some you know it's like some some constructed thing but the landscapes flow together and and continue to change as they move down through mexico and mexico is an incredibly diverse country from the little that i know about it and okay. uh and and so i've always been curious what is the bonsai culture in mexico like and and where is bonsai headed in terms of its pra as a practice in mexico well, from the general point of view, Mexico is kind of nine years, maybe 10 years behind you. And it's getting closer to what uh, Naka and Yoshimura started mm -hmm. back in the day. So we are considering ourselves uh, kind of apprentices from those books, especially uh, Naka's books and Yoshimura's books. So we consider uh, those books uh, kind of a Bible for the bonsai beginners. And we kind of stuck in considering or uh, see bonsai as a set of rules instead of a, a guide mm -hmm. uh, to cre creativity or uh, to consider technique even uh, an important part of bonsai. Yeah, yeah. And, and... Is bonsai a widely practiced art form in Mexico? Yes, actually it is. But uh, unfortunately, we are not prone to read or to watch, um, for example, your channel because it's in a foreign language. 
and it's difficult to understand. For example, your presentations, your demonstrations. Also, uh, Bjorn Bjornholm is very popular, but only kind of skipping to the um, nitty gritty, so to speak. But they uh, do not um, put attention to details. We don't like to read as much. We don't like to research about horticultural aspects. And we often see ourselves um, involved in the death of our bonsai or bonsai to be, instead of uh, keeping them alive enough to develop the art or the technique. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, so bonsai techniques, you cited Yuji Yoshimura as well as John Naka. Did both of those individuals come to Mexico and have a presence in Mexico in terms of sharing the art form or educating? Yeah, sort of, uh, for example, uh, Pedro J. Morales, mm -hmm. uh, Nunaka, and uh, for example, Balabanis is well known here in Mexico. So Balabanis is Yoshimura's apprentice right. for so long. So those techniques uh, start to migrate toward the border. And then in the mid 70s, 80s, uh, they started to flourish. But as you know, uh, U.S. started to uh, progress, to evolve, and Mexico started to, uh, firstly, try to digest the knowledge because it's in English, and we don't have uh, as much as uh, the species cultivated by those teachers. So, who, how did bonsai start in Mexico? Then, Were, did it come with Naka and and, and sort of this? Uh, that generation of practitioners, Japanese Americans, or were, were there people doing practicing bonsai prior to that? No, we actually tried to copy or to mimic, uh, as I emailed you mm -hmm. a few days ago, try to uh, imitate or mimic the Japanese uh, immigrants because they established in the border, so they tried to to share their knowledge with Mexico because. Uh, you know, the World War II, they started to flee America, but some of them were uh, deported back to the U.S. bases and camps. But for example, Paraguay, Mexico, and Chile did not listen to the United States and they protect Japanese immigrants. Mm. So we try to copy or mimic, for example, their horticultural uh, techniques or approach and some uh, did actually know bonsai very well, but uh, we weren't able to to understand the whole process. We are prone to skip steps and to pursue the final product instead of waiting 35 years, 40 or 50 years. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I feel. I mean, I feel like that is very accurate for where the united states what when you said maybe nine or ten years behind i feel like yeah no that that feels very familiar to me in terms of like what is the actual process like what is the what are the steps by which you build a bonsai and it does seem to start i think europe went through it and i remember watching europe going through it and thinking the united states is behind in the early 2000s and then, yeah. uh, you know, and then you had se several uh, people from the United States, Michael Hagedorn and myself and uh, a number of other people now that went, uh, Bjorn and Matt Reel and um, 
you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's more. Juan Andrade for a, a moment, uh, Peter T. Just a just a, a plethora of people went to Japan in a very short period of time and brought back information and awareness of that process. Has has Mexico ever had a student go to Japan or a student that has any formalized training from the Japanese model of bonsai? Yeah, there's only one bonsai professional as we differentiate professional, the one that is actually making a living of bonsai, teaching and doing. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of an amateur. Here we call a bonsaiista, bonsaiero. Mm -hmm. um, his name is Hugo Samora Luna. He started with uh, Kunio Kobayashi. Oh, okay. So he's the only one uh, bonsai professional here in Mexico. Gotcha. And would you say in Mexico, in order to be, I mean, you have this differentiation of somebody making a living doing bonsai as the quantification of a professional. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen the work, uh, I've seen some work on the internet of what I, what I believe to be Mexican bonsai artists that seemed like there are really interesting and innovative things coming out of Mexico or people starting to pursue bonsai at a higher level. But it sounds to me like maybe those people aren't regarded as a professional because it might not be their singular source of income or, or a profession. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Uh, because this is where you get a profit of uh, doing bonsai, teaching bonsai here in, in this country. No. Use any tools or specific materials, so everything is imported. So when you actually try to teach or to uh, show the real Japanese bonsai, as I as I uh, like to call it, Mexico's like uh, I don't like that. So it's kind of a reverse because, uh, for example, in the U.S., uh, you try to mimic or imitate Japan. Mm -hmm. But in Mexico, we are trying to to skip that. We we like to see ourselves like innovators, and no, this this is Mexican bonsai. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a Puerto Rican bonsai. This is Colombian bonsai, and we have an advantage of uh, the climate because a lot of the species grow uh, pretty faster than, for example, junipers and pines. So we can collect or make yamadoris faster and easier than maybe some regions in, in America, United States, for example, or Europe. And, and, uh, and in terms of juniper species that are native that you're accessing and working with, what kind of species are you collecting? Uh, for example, the most common is actually uh, the juniper is commonus, communis, oh, okay. or the common juniper, uh -huh. but uh, we have forest. Uh, and a lot of material. The problem now is, uh, and I'm kind of ashamed of saying that because, well, it's not uh, pretty well seen because we have uh, narco traffic. So the, the drug lords uh, try to occupy those territories and it's pretty dangerous to collect material here in Mexico. Wow. And also it's uh, in some regions it's very, uh, well, you can talk to the landlord and say, may I take your tree, I pay for this, uh, and blah, blah. But then the, the narcos came in and say, no, you can take that. And they even may kill you just to put uh, uh, your foot in there. So we are trapped in the middle of uh, legality and the risk uh, to, well, uh, our lives in order to collect Yamadores. Wow. 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 And, and, and the reason that you have to deal with the narcos 
in order to collect is because these are remote locations where they're also seeking that lack of people being. Is that why? Yes, they're trying to try to play seek and hide with the government. And they say, okay, from this line on, this is our territory, our turf. And from that line there, you can walk and do whatever you want, but don't touch our people, our territories, our lands, uh, trees, whatever, fruits. They're just like a spoiled child that can think that they can take everything they want. And they actually do. Interesting. So, so when you talk about communists as a common juniper, and you said you have forests, you have forests of common juniper. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, a lot of material, acres and acres of 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 uh, very well, uh, I think, prepared or, uh, material, just waiting for us to to work with them or work on them. Yeah. And, and in Mexico, the common, because the common juniper, even, even across uh, the United States, you know, the way that they grow here in the Pacific Northwest versus in the Rocky Mountains versus in the, in the Sierra Nevadas is very different. Are they upright growing uh, common juniper or do they creep along the ground? They creep on the ground and in some regions uh, near the Southern region of uh, Mexico, they kind of uh, upright style. Mm-hmm. already there and maybe five even 10 meters tall so it's kind of um uh, uncharted territory to us oh, but i've seen a lot of good materials and they're already twisted and gnarling and with uh, jeans and and shari is already there yeah. so nature already develop maybe 90 percent of the design and we just need to do the rest 10 uh, percent yeah yeah and and is there are there actually recorded cases of people collecting bonsai where they where they have unfortunately been killed in the process of collecting bonsai well i it's only rumors because our government is not very well in with dealing with that uh, sort of uh, media so i we think they, that this happened because we've never seen them again uh-huh. uh, so according to the government nothing happens mm-hmm. everything is under control but uh, everybody knows uh, the red flags and the red zones we do, where you enter and maybe you will never come out. Wow, wow. And, and is, it, is it dangerous at all to talk about this, or is it just a widely discussed and commonly discussed thing amongst the bonsai community in Mexico? Yeah, yeah it's not dangerous at all. We are not like China. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody I, knows I have what's no happening. Idea. Yes, it's, everybody knows about it. Everybody talks about it. So we are not monitor. <laughs> yeah. Let's cover our shoulders. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And so you have common juniper. What kind of pines do you have then that that are native to? Uh, and and, I, and I'm assuming Mexico is a very diverse country, north to south and east to west, because you have you have high elevation where Mexico City is uh, and big mountainous ranges, and then you also have tropical low lower areas and coastal areas. I mean, you have to have a plethora of bonsai material there, I would think. Yes. According to the last research I read, we have almost 1,035 microclimates and 36 climates, like a standard climate, but we don't have a winter. So we're just keeping winter and we don't see snow at all. So we have a lot of evergreens and uh, deciduous trees and the most popular pine is uh, what we call 
uh, kind of a white pine, similar to the uh, Japanese version, Japanese species, and it's uh, widely used in the bonsai art here in Mexico. Do you know the uh, Do you know the Latin name of that pine by chance, Pinus? No, no, no. It is. I can't remember. Right. I can't recall right now. Interesting. And it's a. It's like a five needle white pine then. Yeah. Exactly. And does it need to be? Because I know Mexico City is at what ten thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand feet. Uh, what, yeah. Three three thousand meters. Is it great? Is it higher than three thousand meters? Three thousand, almost four thousand meters okay. above sea level. Yeah. And and in the vicinity of Mexico City or the surrounding higher elevation regions, does this white pine grow there, or where does it grow in in the in the um, in the country? Northern northern region because there, it needs cold, a lot of cold. So as we don't see actually snow, but we need a kind of a six uh, Celsius uh -huh. or even lower, so it can thrive. Got you, got you. And obviously, the farther south in the country you go, the, the I'm assuming the warmer it becomes. Yeah, so warmer it becomes. So from the middle uh, down to bottom down, we work with uh, tropical species, mm -hmm. and from middle up, with uh, more deciduous like pines, junipers, and something similar like a mugo pine uh -huh. or black pine, something like that. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I've always been so incredibly curious about uh, about the flora of Mexico. Because um, I remember reading an article about uh, about some of the some of the mountainous regions immediately immediately across the border and in, in the northern region of the country and seeing pictures of some of the junipers that I was just like, golly, Mexico has to have amazing, incredible material. And then Again, you know, like this this constant quest to try and understand bonsai as it evolves in all of these cultures outside of Japan, Mexico yeah. has has continued to be a big question mark. But it but it sounds it sounds like we are kind of following similar paths in terms of Yuji Oshimura and John Naka and bone bonsai techniques one and two that that John Naka wrote being kind of a rule system or a system of rules there for a while and then and then there's been kind of an evolution of that thought process and and you guys are going through the same transition and transformation yeah and yeah i'm sorry go ahead no 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 um are you when you say tools are all have to be imported and stuff do bonsai practitioners in mexico use akadama or what do you use as soil in your bonsai containers <laughs> No, it's kind of complicated. For example, the only country I know of uh, is from the side of the world, beside U.S., is Spain, Italy. Uh, but Mexico, uh, unfortunately, we cannot import any trees or academia, any kind of soil. Mm. Our institutional Sagarpa is kind of very strict. And I don't know why, because there was a time when the president started to like bonsai a lot, like 50 years ago. And because of him, he said one day, okay, I need a kadama, I need trees. So I'm going to change the regulations so I can import <laughs> my trees. <laughs> I can import the soil I need. And voila, uh, because we have a, our presidency last six years. And during six years, what kind of a dream to the bonsai artists? Because, hey, we can import everything we want. And then <laughs> president uh, and his uh, uh, period and... 
actually they shut down again the import the imports that's crazy that's you know that same thing happened in spain too <laughs> there was a period there was a period in spain where the prime minister was super hyped on bonsai and uh, I think he even went to Mr. Kimura's home in Japan, which is like the first time a Spanish prime minister had ever been to a civilian's home in a foreign country. It was like a a whole thing. Mr. Kimura had pictures of it because there was like secret service everywhere, you know, protecting the prime minister. But um, but there there's a lot of discussion about Spanish bonsai's evolution as a result of that prime minister having a significant passion. It sounds like for Mexico, that was a favorable period for bonsai expansion. Yeah, we can actually import tools, and we can kind of. Uh, we were we were always close to Japan, because uh, the first immigrants in Latin America came in to Mexico in 1887. So from there, that day on, everything to start to go down south, Central America, South America. So they ended up in Argentina. But uh, well, after that, we could not uh, import that any longer. Mm. So we try to create our own tools or try to improvise, even with wire. Here in Mexico, we use aluminum wire all the time because it's the only wire available and the only wire uh, enthusiasts or beginners uh, like to, to use on their bonsais. They are afraid of breaking the twigs and, uh, uh, or damage their trees. So everything here is aluminum wire. Hmm. So as Balabanes, I believe, imported or started to bring aluminum wire to america it became very popular here in mexico oh interesting interesting and can 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 you tell me a little bit more 1887 the first uh immigrants came into mexico in terms of immigrants from japan is that what you're talking about yeah and yeah, why, they, why, why did they come to mexico well uh, as you may remember uh, or a listener may remember they had a treaty with holland and back then, Japan was a closed society. So some Japanese, according to the history I read, uh, were in disagreement with the emperor. So they tried to trade with the Holland, with the Dutch, uh, sorry. And sometimes they bring back and forth uh, kind of, um, how can I say this? Mm, stow, stow away mm -hmm. Japanese. Mm -hmm. So the kind of illegal Japanese enter in the Dutch vessels and start traveling to the India trade uh, routes or India trade company routes. And they ended up in Mexico. So when the ship came back like six or seven months later, they say, okay, Mexico and Latin America is a very good place to start a new way of life. So the rumors start to circulate with, uh, within certain circles in Japan, and they start to migrate. Maybe 34 started uh, this migration back in 1887, and 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 follow. So they try to escape the the emperor in Japan, and they also were trapped sometimes in the coast of Japan, and they were sold as slaves here in Latin America. I'll be darned. Interesting. And so so they got to Mexico, and then they started, and then some of those people chose to now uh, explore and move further south through Central America yeah. and South America. And you said 
and they went to Argentina. Was there a large population of Japanese immigrants that ended up in Argentina? Yeah, ended up like 35,000 from 1961 to 2001. They started to, to thrive as a cultural uh, unity because, as you know, Japan or Japanese, even if they are born here, and Latin America and other regions in the world, they always feel that kind of a nationalism feeling. So Japan is their soul forever and they will pledge their allegiance always. So they some started to learn Spanish and Portuguese, for example, in Brazil, there are a lot of Japanese um, descendants mm -hmm. and also a lot of bonsai clubs, maybe 25, 26 organizations. So Brazil is the center of um, maybe the bonsai culture in Latin America, mm -hmm. along with Venezuela and Puerto Rico. And that one uh, following uh, the steps of others uh, going through Argentina or yeah. Chile. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, when I started my apprenticeship uh, at Mr. Kimura's, there was um, a Japanese-Brazilian woman who was there for, uh, on a government, I think a government-sponsored visa to study bonsai with Mr. Kimura for the first three months. And so we basically started oh. together. Her name was Regina. Regina, if you're listening okay. to this, hello. Yeah, uh, but she she was awesome. And she was from Brazil. Obviously, she spoke, por spoke Portuguese. I spoke just like a very small amount of Spanish from, um, you know, like <laughs> my high school education. And But... Um, but she has a bonsai business in Brazil. And then when you see the kind of bonsai culture and trees created in Brazil, you recognize that there's been a large influence. But then um, when I started Mirai Live, the, the first video person that I worked with was a Japanese uh, Paraguayan gentleman named Ricardo. And his grandfather had immigrated to Paraguay and was uh, a cowboy. And he, and he raised cattle okay. in Paraguay. And so it's it's fascinating to hear you just kind of put dates and sort of uh, walk through this history of Central South America and the immigration of Japanese people into those regions of the world. Because uh, seeing that and having that experience, but not being familiar with how that all occurred, it's just just is, is really really interesting. Okay, <laughs> happy to help you. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah, fill right. some gaps. Yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's wonderful, and so. You know, like one of the things that really interested me when you when you reached out was sort of this discussion of, and you're talking about kind of how the pursuit of bonsai in Mexico, you're trying to get to the finished product and like the, the process, right? We're skipping the process, part of maturation, I think. Um, but talking about these different countries in Central and South America and Latin America as a whole, and stylistically do you see brazilians pursue bonsai or create bonsai with a different aesthetic or puerto rico or mexico or costa rica or argentina or venezuela like is there are there aesthetic differences to the art forms in these different areas yeah yeah there's a lot of art artistry because uh, you know latin latin america is known to be a very wild culture so we don't like to be told you can do it we try to uh, ex uh, experience different things, experiment on, in this case, on, on different species, different techniques. Even if we kill, and I'm sorry to say that, even we, if we kill the tree or the shrub, we continue doing this because we have a lot of, of, of Yamadari around. So maybe sustainability 
will become a problem in the next years because we are kind of taking and taking and taking and we are not putting back anything. Mm-hmm. So they try to experiment and be, and we use a lot of uh, species with thorns, a lot of uh, tropical species that actually can be fused together in order to kind of uh, deceive the, the viewer. Mm-hmm. So you say, okay, this, this tree is like 35, 40 years old, and it's only been trained as a bonsai for 15 years or maybe 10 years. So it looks amazing. The, the rate growth of uh, our tropical species is very, it's very different. It's, it's, it's exponential here in, in this climate. So they're trying to represent uh, kind of dragons, Try to imitate uh, the Asian culture, but in our own way, mm-hmm. the, the Latin American way. So if Japan, for example, your master uh, Kimura uh, do this, we are trying to experiment 10,000 uh, times uh, better, so so to speak. If we the Chinese master is doing, oh, this is a dragon, oh, this is a, a double-headed dragon then. So we are not uh, like to be left behind. Uh, so, so the artistry here and a lot of talents uh, is palpable, but we lack the techniques and the knowledge maybe to keep those uh, masterpieces alive yeah. more than five or ten years. Interesting, 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 interesting. And so, is <clears throat> you mentioned uh, a Chinese? influence is there a lot of penjing influence that also it plays a role in the stylistic considerations in mexico and and latin american bonsai or or tiny tree practice <laughs> yeah because we actually started doing the kind of a penjing and we called it bonsai mm-hmm. here in mexico we, we don't like to prune a lot to damage a lot the tree we like to say this is natural natural view we can we, we like a, a natural bonsai, an indoor bonsai also. So I think like seventy five percent or eighty percent of our work is is very well appreciated, like a, a, as a painting, not as a bonsai. Mm. So we're stuck like in the middle. We do not differentiate a painting from a bonsai. Gotcha. If you see a bonsai, a Japanese bonsai, like Hugo Samora has a show. Uh, in different uh, demonstrations and even in his uh, workshop, some Mexicans say, "Ah, this is very Mexican. It needs uh, more refinement." And, and the tree comes from uh, the image in the case on the magazine or the book comes from Japan, and we say, "This is this this is uh, this is not complete. This is incomplete. It needs something more." So we are not trained to distinguish the the suppleness or the differences between a painting and a bonsai. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And when you described, when you say, listen, Latin American culture is wild. Can yeah. you, can you further, can you further describe that? Cause I'm curious. I mean, I like, uh, you know, I, when I was in Japan, I recognized the, I recognize the tradition and the strength of that tradition. And also there is in Japan a a formality, right? An adherence to the pattern and your role in society. And, uh, and I guess I always considered the United States to be relatively free. Um, 
Yeah, that, I definitely think that's a, that's a concept that's being you know trying to be further explored at this point in time. But but calling Latin American wild, quantify that for me if you can. Yeah, well, because we also are uh, prone to see ourselves like free, but free kind of in a bad way. I'm not speaking for all Latin Americas because, for example, Puerto Rico is kind of different uh, and Brazil also, but uh, we share this feeling of not following the rules, not uh, letting us, uh, as you described with the with Balavani's interview, the thumb of our teachers uh, in our, on our heads to tell us that you can do it and I'll say, okay, you, you say that we can do it, I'm gonna do it just to prove you that you were wrong mm. or just to prove you wrong. And we are kind of aggressive or violent, if you if you may, uh, in that in that way. So as you, I don't know if you like boxing, Love but boxing. a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, Mexican boxers kill their their opponents during the fight. So if we say you can do it, or we are saying no, you, you are you are bad, you are you are not good. We are go out there and try to prove ourselves that you are wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I'm calling wild. So that in the bonsai, it's also represented. You say if you maybe if you come here and because not uh, not all of Mexicans and not Latin America know you, maybe. If you say, okay, you can do this with your bonsai, you can do that with your bonsai, they're going to cross their, their hands or their, their, and I say, okay, 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 Ryan, it's okay. Thank you for your, your insights, but I, I'm not going to do it because you are telling me that I don't know what I'm doing and I've been doing this for 25 years, 15 years, uh-huh. and I'm going to listen to you. Right. So we're very close-minded in that term. And this, uh, this kind of uh, wild sentiment is playing against our, our progress in bonsai. I mean, like when, when it's put that way, I see it, it sounds like it's detrimental, but you could also look at that and you could say, man, if you could harness wild, like if you could, I mean, I just from some of the famous Mexican boxers, you know, that, that, uh, that I know of, I mean, their style is so incredible. It's like, uh, caution to the wind, you know, it's, you, the, yeah. you're, you're going to go out on your shield and, and there is like a, <laughs> a definitive heart that's present in Mexican boxers. And you think about that, if you're going to use that as a metaphorical relationship for wild and it's like, well, what does that yeah. look like in bonsai? That could be really spectacular. I mean, if you could, you know, controlled chaos of that defiance, could just be absolutely magnificent, especially if you're talking about the Yamadori that you are, you know, um, discussing and the availability of that. But that is a big bridge to cross to be able to yeah. handle that that and keep it alive and know the process and uh, and then use that culturally inherent presence of wild to have positive influence on that tree. Yeah, exactly. For example, uh, the best... Uh trees that represent this kind of uh, feeling is uh, are made by Nacho Marin uh-huh. in Venezuela. So if you see his dragon, uh, I think he wrote an article for Bonsai Empire. So if you see the dragon, that's the feeling. That's the wilderness. That's uh, the, the, the power there. 
So maybe we are not using the pots correctly according to the Japanese dogma, or maybe the heights are different. I don't know. But the feeling when you see such trees is like uh, jaw dropping. It's uh, you see how can anyone not trained in Japan or in China can actually achieve that uh, artistry. Yeah. So National Marine, to me, is the best example of this uh, wild feeling, of this wild temper. I would say, yeah, I would say Nacho Marin is, is, is one of the more inspirational bonsai artist uh, work that I look at. I, I really enjoy his work. I would love to talk to him about his process. How, how do you think, um, do you know Nacho at all? Yeah. I mean, how did, how did he, without training, get to the level that he's at? Because there are a few people, I mean, even in North America, I would say Suthin, Suksulvisit up in uh, Boston. You know, I mean, the, the level of bonsai that he practices, not having had the kind of formal training that other people have had. I mean, he's created an entire body of work in North America that is very, very influential. And he's incredibly talented. I mean, some people just have the 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 mechanisms and the you know the the whatever curiosity or capacity to translate <laughs> you know but uh how did nacho come about that from your perspective from my perspective maybe his photography training or he's a, a professional photographer mm. he is kind of a developed this sensibility to to nature so it's kind of his personality also is very friendly is with, with people you know, likes to talk to, to share knowledge but the, the vision of uh, the nature the, the true nature of nature so to speak is uh, unparalleled here in, in latin america hmm. maybe others can achieve a, a better technique or faster uh, results but uh, the design it's kind of um, his thing his designs are one of the best uh, in latin america i believe and not to say that others, for example, Brazil had good examples and Mexico also with Evo Zamora, but they are trying to following the Japanese uh, document, the Japanese rules, mm -hmm. they call them rules. We are not actually uh, in the position of telling or differentiate the difference of a rule or a guide. Mm -hmm. We are afraid of trying new things or even some enthusiasts come with a ruler and start to measure the, the branches and uh, everything like by the book. Mm. So Nacho Marines actually do, uh, he doesn't. So he's kind of free, this is a free soul. Yeah, very cool. That's, that's really interesting. It's it's just interesting. So when, when Venezuela, saying that Venezuela, has a strong bonsai culture is it because of you know an individual bonsai personality like a nacho marin or is there a a community there that has a very strong um you, you know communal presence as bonsai practitioners communal presence of bonsai practitioners i believe because young generations here and i think that's why japan is looking to us as a new as a new opportunity to sell things because I, I think that Japan is kind of slowing down his his bonsai production, his bonsai interest, because I think they are not finding any apprentice like yourself. Right. And it's kind of um, expensive from the point of economical point of view. And it's very difficult to adapt to, to, to that drastic uh, change in the cultural 
aspect. As for example, as I told you before, we don't like to be told what to do, but in Japan is the other way around. Yep. You just need to shut up and listen and, and learn whatever you can kind of uh, inverse engineering. So that's why maybe in Latin America, a lot of young apprentices or or bonsai professionals wannabe, if I may say so, uh, are looking for uh, characters like Nacho Marine because uh, they're trying to simplify the way of uh, creating bonsai. Mm -hmm. So everything is easy, everything is achievable, anyone can do it, and it's, uh, it's cheaper than you think. So that's why in Venezuela, Peru, Argentina, and all uh, South America, uh, countries and America and Latin America countries are looking to create bonsai in their own way. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds just listening to you speak about bonsai in Latin America and Mexico specifically. It sounds like you're being very objective. Do you, do you feel a sense of um, pride in where bonsai is headed in Latin America, or do you consider yourself somebody who's kind of observing this evolution and and you know where do you fit into all of this what does your bonsai practice look like my bonsai practice i think is an uh, it's an observer and a chronicle and a chronicler because i try to find out the the very first uh, for example migrations in, in latin america and uh, as so uh, a lot of uh, japanese uh, professionals especially in horticulture uh, are now part of our culture without knowing it. Uh, techniques, uh, for example, watering and fertilizers, the, some techniques that we use today comes from the Japanese uh, immigrants back in the day. So I think we are kind of pride to say that if we are given the proper time, amount of time and the proper mm, kind of um, instruction, we can even uh, match your level now in the US, but maybe like five years or six years uh, uh, down in the road. Yeah, 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 very cool, very cool. And and um, when you start to talk about that, like a, a bonsai club in Mexico, what does a bonsai club in Mexico look like? Like what, how often do you meet and what do you do? And, and if education is... is kind of taken as like, if you tell me I can't do that, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. How how does a bonsai club function in Mexico? It's kind of someone like myself, like say, okay, do you like bonsai? And I start to post things on Facebook like with friends that I know they like uh, gardens because everything started with gardens. Uh, so architects, engineers, and doctors are the main um, uh, how can you say this uh, the main patrons uh -huh. of bonsai here in mexico because they are kind of uh, wealthy so they can uh, provide the uh, installations for example facilities tools and the context of uh, getting the jamaderis or the, to create a bonsai for the for the beginners for the novices but when do you actually and start uh, assisting uh, regularly to a bonsai club here in Mexico, you face kind of um, 
a violence uh, among their uh, their people because they want to show off a lot. So if you attend maybe a week and another one start just to start for, for a day or two, the one who is being in in the bonsai club for a week feels like uh, like the master. Mm. Considers here or herself like a master and start to to bully the 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 newcomer. Mm. So a lot of the desertion is is seen in the bonsai clubs here in Mexico and also in Latin America, because we, as I told you, we are closed-minded. We don't like to, to see the young uh, the younger generations know more of bonsai because they actually know English and they understand, for example, the channels or your YouTube channels and Bjorn Bjornholm channels and many others, and they try to integrate such knowledge into the new bonsai clubs in Mexico. But it's kind of uh, not well seen by senior uh, members of the club. Right, right, right. Kind of stepping on their toes a little bit. You're uh, challenging their authority yeah. with this new information. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I feel, I feel all of those, I feel all of those growing pains that Mexican bonsai is going through then, because I think that's still, even to this day, I think that's the commonplace in some portions of the United States in the bonsai culture, yeah. you know, in those places. And I think even, and I, and I have to believe Mexico being such a large country and Latin America being such an expansive landmass that there there have to be positive little pockets of people that are collaborating or doing something more constructive and there's probably and i it, it's interesting cuz i wonder if 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 mexico city you know if if that region has a uh, a mentality that would cause that kind of adherence to sort of the old school way of going about things but that was a, that's always been a big fight with bonsai or or say a, a contentious area of contention okay yes that's true we are always fighting um, the newcomers the new knowledge because sadly to us in particularly in mexico we don't like to read a lot mm -hmm. so uh, that's that's point one the, the, the second point is uh, we do not understand very well english uh, even reading english is very difficult to us and when you come across with uh, uh, technicalities or technical terms of horticulture is even worse so we see books like um, Bonsai by Peter Warren, DK. We see, okay, forget it. It's way too expensive, and I can understand. Mm -hmm. I just like to see the pictures. So you just pass the pages, the pages, and, and you cannot understand uh, the details needed to, to take advantage of such uh, texts or resources. Mm -hmm. So YouTube is now the, the first tool, for example, uh, David Cortizas from Spain. I don't know if you know him. Mm -hmm. It's kind of um, the first uh, tool we need, what we use in Mexico. And then for the more, more experienced uh, bonsai practitioners uh, is your channel, because a lot of uh, Mexico Mexicans uh, enthusiasts respect your work. And in third place is uh, Bjorn Bjornholm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where where you're getting kind of that 
baseline transition of the shape and you're seeing trees being made and it's uh, yeah that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense i i get it i get it i definitely at, at least from what i can understand of my own boneside journey because what interestingly enough you know I'm, i mean um i went and i apprenticed with mr kimura which um which obviously was a wealth of information but i grew up in a very small town in the mountains in Colorado, and there was no bonsai. There just simply wasn't any bonsai around me. Up, I mean, unlimited yamadori around me, and nobody that knew what they were doing in terms of bonsai, or even people that even knew what bonsai was. So that process of moving from that point of just not knowing and book-related knowledge, and this was pre-internet as well, which made it even more challenging, uh, to being where we're at today, like that, that journey is a big one. Um, but it's interesting, it's interesting that, uh, that the journey has begun and there are passionate bonsai practitioners that are interested in trying to take that leap and make that next step. When you think about how does Mexico and bonsai in Mexico move forward, and move forward in a way that is true to the wild nature and spirit of the Mexican culture, but also to see bonsai become uh, an art form that really starts to thrive. How would that? How how would you see that happening? How does how does how does that occur? It's occurring kind of slowly. You can we are trying to follow Japan, but we are also trying to follow U.S. So we are kind of traveling the middle. And we are trying to gather a lot of information uh, from the ancient techniques, as we call it, in Japan. And we do not uh, try to, to, to reach uh, step by step. We are trying to forget we're skipping um, steps from the ladder. Mm-hmm. And we often try to choose the wrong ladder. So if I can get myself uh, a taxodium micronatum, which we work a lot, mm-hmm. we call that awewete, um, and we consider ourselves a master. So, okay, I, I, I achieve to grow a new branch. I achieve to give the triangular shape or the classic triangular shape from Naka's book, and it's all done. So I buy another one and another one and another one. And for example, in the beginning of... Um, other practices here in Mexico, uh, novices try to buy between 20 to 30 uh, Yamadoris, and maybe more than 75% die in the first year. Mm. So they buy another one and another one, and we are not as, as, uh, stopping and telling ourselves, okay, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? We blame the tree, we blame the shrub, but we are not looking at ourselves as guilty. Okay, it's something I did wrong now. It's the climate, is the water, uh, pest or whatever, but not us. Yeah, yeah. So we are saying, okay, I'm going to let that happen and I'm going to step aside a little bit and maybe wait to between one or three years and then start all over again. So we are kind of uh, step forwarding and then a step back two steps and then step forward one and then back three <laughs> so we are kind of uh, playing <laughs> so i call that that process uh, the matatena process because matatena is uh, in a mexican game so it's kind of a chance of catching the ball 
and several toys on the ground. So it's, everything is luck here. And we say, ojalá Dios nos ayude. So we pray to God to get the results instead of, of, of learning or, or, or instructing ourselves. So that process is going to take a long, a longer with that kind of ideas. Wow. Wow. That's so fascinating, man. And I just keep going back to you. It's like if you had the horticulture and you turn this wild spirit loose on bonsai, what you could do with that would be so impressive. But dang it, if the tree doesn't stay alive, there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about, right? Yeah. 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 I, re I remember coming when I came back from Japan even 10 years ago. I mean, we have Rocky Mountain junipers in North America or in, in the United States, excuse me. And, uh, and when I came back even 10 years ago, people were saying, well, that can't be a bonsai. You know, it can't be a bonsai. And it was like, well, why can't it be a bonsai? Oh, you can't, yeah. um, you can't prune the roots. You can't, uh, the foliage never stays mature. It's like every single thing that was thought to is a sim similar thing, right? Like, oh, they have weak roots, yeah. you know, and it was always the tree's fault. Everything was the tree's fault. Uh, and, and now obviously we know that that's not the case. And, uh, yeah. that, that, that is a tough, that is a tough, um, lesson to learn to look at the self and recognize that that we are the problem right we're the we're the weak link yeah. there but but a, a necessary turn and bone that's the humility that the art form brings i feel like yeah exactly that's uh, that's the thing I, I i want to teach my students it's the first thing you need to do is to keep your tree alive and healthy mm -hmm. i don't like to torture trees i don't like to collect trees a lot because i am doing more harm than good so you need to wait maybe three to five years in order to see what's going on, mm -hmm. to see the watering. Uh, I don't know if you can call it technique, but the watering is a lot of, uh, it's, it's a huge detriment here in Mexico because we water a lot and we root, uh, we root the, the root system. Mm -hmm. So everything is lost within six months or, or, or less. Yep. So I try to teach my, my, my students, okay, you need to first understand some horticultural basis, and then you need to keep your, uh, your tree alive and see how you can use fertilizer, watering, the sun, exposure. And then you can think of uh, styling your tree for the first time. Yeah. And how you're going to do it, how the wire is going to be applied or the pruning, even if you don't have the, the specific tools to it, because Kikua brand is very popular here in Mexico and everyone, okay, I want a Kikua and magically that uh, that shear is going to make uh, my tree a bonsai. Right. So everything is with the candy on it. It's magical and it is perfect for the job. Right. You don't ask questions about when you see the candy or, or the brand and in the in the tools or on the fertilizer man if only so it were that easy huh that would be amazing yeah well, if you find that candy it's gonna solve your problems but no <laughs> so <laughs> yeah you look the brand with the candy and uh, everything is gonna be solved so i try to teach that with to my students to be patient patient and patient is is very hard to come by here in mexico yeah yeah i, I so you have a school then, or you have a bonsai club? Like, what? How, how do you engage with your students? Yeah, bonsai club. But now with this pandemic thing, with this COVID nineteen thing, it's only using Zoom as we are talking around. Right. 
So online, we are trying to, to see our trees, but it's very difficult because we also do not like online uh, instruction. Yeah. We don't like to be sit, sitting in front of a computer. That's another thing of, of the culture of Latin American culture is kind of, we are not mean to be um, isolated. Mm-hmm. We like to share a lot, we laugh a lot and party a lot. So this this thing is is, is uh, causing a lot, of, a lot of troubles and a lot of uh, uh, trees for my students are dying mm-hmm. because they're kind of feeling the, uh, the pressure now of being locked down for five months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not having that community aspect of it is, is it taking, is it kind of decreasing their interest in bonsai to not have that community? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. That makes sense. My, my, uh, my sister moved to Mexico a year ago and uh, yeah, yeah. Her husband is Mexican and, um, (laughs) she just recently came back to the United States and she said, uh, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't get back to Mexico fast enough. Uh, she she does not have any desire to live in the United States anymore, which um, she really enjoys the lifestyle in Mexico and and uh, yeah. finds it finds it to be far more favorable for her. So I can't wait. Yeah, to, I can't wait but, to go visit someday. <laughs> yeah, you should come and visit any any place. Mexico City is kind of polluted, but Veracruz, Merida, Baja California, very good places to go. Yeah. And because we're kind of friendly, even now that we are suffering because of this lockdown, we're kind of friendly. But also the economical uh, point of view is what's causing us to abandon bonsai uh, endeavors because it's quite expensive now. And I recently ordered some some Kikawa uh, bonsai tools mm-hmm. and they the prices went up like this. So and and the shipping process is way too long, like three to six months. So everything is kind of um, still now, and the trees is suffering the consequences because we are more uh, we're worried to get a job, yeah, to get food at the table instead of carrying our friend in in the pot, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. What do you do? What do you do about um, the bonsai ceramic or bonsai pots? Um, are there are there Mexican bonsai ceramicists? Are there, you know, Latin American ceramicists? Do you see the ceramic uh, aesthetic change uh, across Latin America? What does that look like? Yeah, we have a, a very famous uh, ceramist called Rosalinda in Mexico City. Uh, he's trying to copy the the bonsai pots in because we can import and the thing that we can import is japanese pots tokunami mm-hmm. so she's trying to copy the same style the same uh, kind of the, take the mold from the tokunami mm-hmm. and uh, she, but everything is glazed so all the ceramics here in mexico are glazed we do not like uh, like uh, opaque uh, colors like dead <laughs> colors so another thing about the culture everything needs to be vivid yeah. colorful yeah even with the conifers we, we plant a juniper in, in, a, in a glaze pot and a black pot a yellow pot a purple one anything but but uh, but dull yeah and it's the other way around it's if we follow japan as a rule you know the conifers goes with the uh, not glaze uh, pot but we don't like that so it's they are not very popular 
but some like Hugo Zamora are trying to introduce uh, that taste, such taste, little by little. But it's very difficult <laughs> because of the materials. Yes, it's very the material. It's very difficult to do. I don't like that. You see a lot of way better uh, and expensive Tokonabe pots in his uh, facility, and everybody's oh I, this uh, this this purple one. Mm-hmm. I want to buy this purple one. I want to buy this yellow one. And the Tokonami are getting dust and not selling out. <laughs> I love this. It sounds so freaking cool and fun to try and do bonsai in Mexico. It sounds it, it, it sounds um, super challenging, but really, really, really enjoyable. It, it feels almost when you start to talk about that, that feels like there are echoes of almost like a hinging you know like when you compare and and this is a, a broad brushstroke you know but when you p- compare the subdued reserved nature of japanese culture to i would say a much more um a much more uh, i would energetic but a much more uh, I'll, I'll say a slightly louder culture from the chinese culture right where you do have brighter yeah. colors and you do have bolder statements yeah. Um, typically being made in the Japanese, you know, that reservation is a big part of their aesthetic and restraint and wabi-sabi and this, like, yeah, seeing Penjing in really bright colored containers and conifers and no limit to that um, convention in, in the Penjing demonstration, and there's some modern Penjing that are continuing to expand on that, sounds very similar in terms of what the aesthetic and the mentality in Mexico is. And that's why I am so intrigued by what you're saying, because it's like, oh man, if if we if if, if we can just teach a little bit of horticulture in Mexico, and then yeah. t- kind of turn open the door for people to creatively creatively just be uh, Latin American and expressive through this medium of these miniaturized trees, that could be fireworks. That could be absolute yeah. magic in terms of what you would get to see people create. I mean. I, I want to see that so badly. <laughs> and me also. That's why I reach out to you. I try to reach out to you first, first because I know your work. I know you. I, I follow your work since you, since Lindsay Farr and interview uh, yeah. back then in the Bonsai series. <laughs> yeah. world. And I say, this man is going to make a change. And I, I try to follow your career and also be your home. But this kind of, you need, because, uh, I believe did you study horticulture, right? I did. Yeah, I studied horticulture. So, so that's that's the key point, horticulture. Yes. Yeah. So without that, maybe, yeah, it's the backbone. So maybe it's way too difficult. You need to be kind of a, a genius, maybe, to understand bonsai, not to know how to keep them alive first. Yeah. Yeah. To understand, for example, the conifers and. Uh, oxygen or hormone and all these details because we are trying to to pinch a lot mm-hmm. we don't use shears here we pinch a lot we over pinch our, our juniper we over pinch our, our pines so in the end the branch die off yeah and and again is the tree's fault yeah, <laughs> yeah right how <laughs> dare yeah yeah, I I mean there's no there is because you know with bonsai we're swimming upstream. I mean we're 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 defying uh science and horticulture by what we're doing. I mean uh, when I try to consult with the horticultural community or the botanical community, they look at this and they're just like, "Well, this is totally crazy. You're psychotic." You know, and and everybody yeah. that knows 
bonsai as a Japanese art form and understands this is like, no, well, yeah, people don't really get it, but, but on a scientific level, it is an anomaly. It's a, it's a, it shouldn't be possible. And, and that's what gives rise to all of the things that we have to do to be able to explore them aesthetically is you got to put the work in horticulturally. But interestingly enough, and I think where like Mr. Kimura and I connected a lot, and I've probably said this before, but it's a good, it's a good time to say it again is, you know, what in, in what empowered him to make such radical trees was that he actually had uh, an education in horticulture and it wasn't a, a formalized education um, from the perspective of he didn't go to horticultural school. Uh, but what Mr. Kimura did is he ended up after his apprenticeship in Japan going to horticulture school at night and uh, got okay. an, got a uh, like a, you know, a, a collegiate degree in horticulture or a, a university degree in horticulture at night. Um, and that is what really when he started pursuing bonsai again, um, because he took there was, there was a, a, like a five-year hiatus between when he finished his apprenticeship and when he started pursuing bonsai professionally. When he pursued bonsai again, uh, he had that entire background of horticultural knowledge, and that's what gave rise to the, to the Masahiko Kimura that everybody knows today. You know, his, his work as an apprentice was, was completely passive, and, um, and I would say not necessarily lackluster, but uh, less than what we know of his work once he became the magician, right? Yeah. And the magician was facilitated by, by horticulture. That, and that, yeah, exactly. that, that is fascinating for me to understand too. Exactly, because we also know we consider Kimura as the best bonsai master ever. Yeah. And we have uh, Liporache, if I pronounce it correctly, yep. one of his uh, former apprentices. And um, here in Mexico once, and also it kind of um, kind of a crucify. We crucify him because, as you said before, this is not possible. You are telling us everything uh, backwards. Everything is this is that is it's impossible. What you tell us, so we don't like uh, your style because we cannot do that. So as Kimura passed when he was uh, entering the bonsai world, I believe. Everybody closed the door to him, but in the end, we need to accept that everything that we do now is because of him. Yeah, yeah, across so, the, ac across the non-Asian world, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, this is the key, and to, in order to understand the possibilities of the magician, uh, we need to learn horticulture first. Yeah. So. This is the base. So Mexico maybe is good in artistry, mm -hmm. maybe good like as a natural marine, but not uh, maybe 10, three times out of 10, we create something like that mm -hmm. instead of 10 out of 10. Yep. Because we lose a lot of, uh, of, of Yamadori in the process. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And and um, when you talk about like uh, some of the prominent names like a Pedro Morales or a Nacho Marin or some of these Latin American artists that are, you know, I, I would say on a more international level, highly respected, do, yeah. do, 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 do Pedro and Nacho have the ability to communicate the significance of horticulture and have people in Mexico listen? Or is that another moment where people would be like, nah, we're not into it? <laughs> Yeah, we are not into it because the other thing is, uh, for example, here, uh, male practitioners 
didn't like uh, flowers and didn't like to take care of the garden. So if you come with uh, a little tree in a pot, namely whatever species you wanna you wanna you wanna use, it's kind of oh man, you're a man, so you're not supposed to like bonsai. Mm. That's a girl thing. Mm-hmm. So the macho thing in our heads, inside of our, our culture, even if we do not realize it is there is a, something like that in ourselves, it is. So, and uh, ironically, we only have like 15 to 20 practitioners, female practitioners in, in the whole country, but they like uh, Kusamono. Mm-hmm. They like uh, other things, and they are they are telling themselves this is a bonsai, but it's not. This is Gusamon. Yeah. So because they don't like to to damage the tree a lot, and the male counterparts say this is a girl thing. So when the Marine come across and they show the final product, they say, "Oh, this is amazing! How do you do that?" And we are looking kind of. Um, uh, a list or or, or uh, a manual in order to do that, but it's not that simple. Okay, say so Nacho says yeah, it took me ten years, eight years, fifteen years, and you say, oh no, this is not for me. I want it now. <laughs> I want it now. Tomorrow, yeah. one year maybe, you three said, years tops. I'm wild, baby. I don't got ten years or fifteen years. I'm ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm too young, and I want to waste my life taking care of this tree i, I gotta leave that's right yeah that's right and put it in a really bright yellow pot for me please <laughs> yeah wait <laughs> that's awesome oh man well it's an uphill battle but it's a worthy one to fight that's really cool that um it's cool that you have a club where where you're working hard to try and you know to the best of your ability sort of swim upstream of some of those tendencies and and i feel like you know, I feel like um, the challenges that you're facing are the same challenges that other people are facing, although it sounds like you have added cultural sort of cultural nuances that make it uh, that make it uh, especially um, cumbersome or maybe necessitate further creativity in the teaching process uh, to yeah. be able to communicate. But there's you know, th- I think the beauty of bonsai, at least for me anyways, has been, the journey of trying to work all of these things out and and uh, the reward of that journey leading to new discoveries. And there's no doubt that bonsai in Mexico has a bright future if if some of these things can become a little bit more known and practiced and success can be enhanced. Because once you turn yeah. the Mexican spirit loose on, uh, on artistry, <laughs> yeah, what's going to come out is going to be crazy. There's no doubt. Yeah. I think so. We have a lot of talent here, even with ceramics, even with blacksmiths who are willing to to produce our own bonsai tools. And everything is there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are afraid to share. The other thing is we are afraid to share. Even we are cocky about it. Okay, I, I am the man. I know how to do it. Inside, you're afraid to share your, your, your results. So there are a lot of Facebook groups that uh, show a lot of good material but it's only there virtually nobody knows them yeah they don't want to reach the bonsai clubs they don't want to reach uh, uh, characters or personalities of yourself and and say hey what do you think about my work 
Yeah. Do you think I can do? Or they don't like to subscribe to, to for example, your channel, your live um, shows. Mm -hmm. And they like to subscribe because it's kind of expensive. Mm -hmm. The dollar and the peso, it's way too, way too different. So in order to to reach your level, we need to to take these fears from us, to to find uh, good information, and to find to to get closer to your to professional like like yourself, mm -hmm. because some here in Mexico say, okay, Ryan Neal is unreachable, is the golden boy of one side, so nobody is able to talk to him. Mm. It's impossible. So it's not impossible. Oh, I yeah, I don't want to be unreachable. I want I want to be I want to I want Bonsai in Mexico to grow. I want to be inspired by you guys. Uh, we'll have to figure out how to change that. Then you know, I I I think for me, I've always wondered. You know, I've never been invited to go to Mexico, which is fine. You know, if like if uh, if people don't aren't attracted to what I do, I can't I can't change that. You know, uh, I'm not going to make work that I don't want to do to try and attract somebody that you know, that I think I, that I think I need to change for, but I've always wanted to do bone tie in Mexico. And I've wondered what the limitation is. And if, if cost is a limitation and if accessibility is a limitation, then those are things that can be fixed. You know, like I, uh, I think it would be really interesting to, to be able to hopefully make some of the information more accessible if it, if it would help. And, uh, if it's functional and usable, then we should find a solution for that. Okay. Uh, well, we do like your work, but as I was saying, we see yourself unreachable. It's mm -hmm. impossible mm -hmm. to do that. So we actually have a lot of followers uh, who try to try to make up your videos, uh, try to translate them with the YouTube uh, translation uh, service, but it is not the same. They they are lost in translation. They say, okay, how can I get that kind kind of product in five years or four years yeah. i tend to do it so it's not that we don't like your work we do like your work a lot yeah because you study with kimura but we see like an idol in, in yourself like a kind of a god for for example like uh, maradona in the football it's the same to you mm. ryan neal is ryan neal mm. so if maybe if i email him he will never answer me back mm. or if, maybe if i make a comment in your, your youtube channel nobody will notice yeah, yeah. so that's, that's the thing we do like your job a, a lot to work a lot but yeah. we can we don't know how to get in contact or involved in your work well we're gonna change that you've given me motivation no actually one of the members of my team jesus is uh is from mexico city uh mm -hmm. one of one of my the members of my film team and we've worked on We've worked on translating. I mean, it's a monster now, right? Because there's like, literally. I mean, we're probably closing in on a thousand videos on there now. But, yeah. um, but I've always, I've always recognized, you know, if if we were going to translate our videos into one language, uh, Spanish makes the most sense. And mm -hmm. and there's obviously nuances between Spain and the Spanish they speak there, and Latin America and yeah. the Spanish that's spoken through Latin America. And I've always, you know, Jesus and I have talked about it a lot of times. And it was a project that, you know, going through the ups and downs of trying to do bonsai professionally, even in the United States, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do to make a living doing bonsai. 
Um, but we're getting better at figuring it out at Mirai for sure. And, uh, yeah. and, and I, I, I definitely see there being uh, the capacity to, to be more reachable and, and, and be less of this. Um, I don't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Maradona, the Maradona of Bonsai. I would rather be, uh, you know, like the guy next door so that we can talk about okay. it and we can do Bonsai on a higher level together. That interests me way more. Um, but you know, getting to have this conversation, learning more about where Mexican bonsai is and Latin America in general is orienting um, just creates the further capacity for us to be able to problem solve and creatively figure out how can, how can we share some of what we know, which maybe, you know, a lot of it's not going to apply to Mexico, but maybe some of it does. And maybe, and maybe it could, uh, maybe it could provide um, a little bit of fuel for those that, you know, behind closed doors, they don't have to acknowledge yeah. that they've watched that video or, you know, <laughs> I, I won't be telling them what they have to do. I can say this is a possibility. Uh, maybe, maybe that, <laughs> maybe that could start to help with some of the success. It sounds like that's kind of where you guys are at. Yeah. We need, we need your knowledge. We need knowledge of yourself with professionals who actually uh, uh, learn uh, bonsai in Japan. So it's because of the base. You need to go back to Japan in order to, to know bonsai. Yeah. There's no other way. Yeah. The cocoa the type content there. Yeah. But if you take pictures of it and you look at it, okay. So what I do now. Yep. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. How do you get there? How do you get there? Yeah. That's that's um that's really that's really cool and really interesting too. I was just talking today, just before you and I uh, started the podcast with one of my um, one of the, the the members on my team, and we were talking about the fact that you know even though at Mirai, I'm trying to create trees that represent, you know, the, the, the native landscapes that I've experienced. There is always going to be an aspect of, of my bonsai practice that is going to focus around the traditional model yeah. as I learned it in Japan. Because it's just like, and the only thing I could equate it to, I mean, maybe it would be boxing. You know, like uh, you have to learn how to throw a jab and you have to learn how to throw a straight and you have to learn how to throw a hook and an uppercut. And then how you choose to put those together, you know, a Mexican fighter is going to put all that together differently than, than say, yeah. uh, you know, an East Coast fighter in New York versus a West Coast fighter in L.A. Uh, and all of the activities or practices, yoga, if you wanted to talk about yoga as a practice, you have to have a fundamental platform and then you can go do your own thing. Bonsai is the same. And I think as a bonsai yeah. professional or a bonsai practitioner, it's important to stay rooted in the traditional form. It's like you're, um, it's like if you were in taekwondo or karate and you would have a kata, you know, or you would have a yeah. form that you do. This is, even though you might be able to break boards with flying sidekicks and stuff, you're still going to go back to the fundamental form. That that's the traditional exactly. model for a bonsai practice, right? And it's, yeah. it's interesting to acknowledge that because I think at Mirai, you know, I've always kind of tried to push away from that. But 10 years in, I'm recognizing how significant that fundamental foundation is and to continue to stay solid and rooted and return to it and, and work within it. And it sort of launches us off on our next trajectory. But um, basing, basing some of that beginning knowledge on that and establishing that, that base is, is very, very pivotal. And it sounds like Mexico needs some of that, too. Yes, as I learned bonsai from the classical point of view, mm -hmm. as I emailed you, and my teacher is well, was Mexican, it was Mexican, was Japanese, mm 
and everything I learned was classical and, and traditional. And then I come across with these new ideas uh, come out of nowhere. Uh, and I and I ask my students, where do you learn that? What do you think is this is this is uh, okay? This is this is true. I don't know. I, I learned that from a guy, and the guy told me, and the friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. So when you look back, there is no actual base or scientific base mm -hmm. for that to, to to be. And I always try to go back to Japan, and I also crucify. Uh, a few years back, because I, when I came back to Japan from Japan, I say, "Okay, I want to share this knowledge," and nobody was listening to me. Right. Everybody says, "Okay, you're crazy. This is not possible. You are lying to us." Mm. Uh, and I say, "No, I'm not lying. There's proof. There are books. There are photographs. There are professionals who are already in training, uh, but they do not listen." They say this is way too difficult, way hard to achieve. And little by little, with years, maybe six years, six years, seven years, I tried and started to change some minds, some part of view, some dogmatic uh, approaches. Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult, as mm -hmm. maybe you find yourself when you came back from Japan, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was challenging. Continues to be well. I would say less less now because I mean, obviously, Mariah's had ten years, and there's a lot of lot of samples of of the work working, and there's obviously some a lot of failures as well. That's part of the growth process. But but um, it seems like in Mexico to show success, to show things being successful, it's an undeniable. You know, if 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 somebody buys a beautiful common juniper and kills it in the first six months. You know, like that doesn't, I, it doesn't matter how stubborn you are. That hurts. That really hurts, yeah. you know? So if you gave the, if, if they saw success, you know, and there was a continued success and there was a recipe for success, that feels like, man, that's a, that's a, a way in which you could empower people with that kind of knowledge. And it's just a matter of figuring it out. I, I love having conversations like this because it starts, you know, it starts the wheels turning for me of what does that look like? What does that look like? Yeah. Mm. For example, have you ever worked with uh, tropical species? Yeah, I've worked with tropical species. I would never profess myself to be uh, an expert or a professional with tropical species, but I, I spent in the early portion after having come back from Japan, spent a lot of time in Florida working with study groups, working on um, species in Florida, um, okay. and and I've done quite a bit of work throughout the southeastern United States on tropical species over the course of time. The problem is is in the Pacific Northwest, in order to grow tropical species, it would be so hard to grow them here that you would never get them to grow as strong and healthy as they would, say, for areas where they're native. And that's why I haven't pursued it further. Um, but I love tropical species. I absolutely find them to be incredibly endearing and, and um, responsive, right? You can do more to tropical species than yeah. you can to temperate species, and they respond better to it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity in tropical bonsai. I think that's where you see Taiwan being so strong as a bonsai yeah. community. Maybe also Thailand, yeah. India. We have uh, similar species here, and they grow a lot faster than conifers, for example. And 
as you mentioned, we can do a lot of work very faster. Yeah. But the problem is now the climate and, and the water, mm-hmm. because we have I don't know if it's, if it's called hard water. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, hard water, and uh, the government puts a lot of of uh, bleach or chlorine. Chlorine, yeah. Yeah, chlorine. So this is way too harmful for our our uh, our trees. Yeah. So maybe some in some areas we are killing trees because of the chlorine in the water on mm. um, the pollution in the water. So maybe sometimes it's, it's kind of difficult to find this balance between good horticulture practices and the media, the means we have to to actually apply those horticultural practices. Yeah. Because we lack we lack water, for example, some places in Sonora, Sinaloa, a lot of heat, and for example, Merida, it's a lot of. Uh, uh, the dry heat is uh, similar to Guatemala or Brazil, yep. but the water is uh, very hard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, residues on the trees that actually kills the trees. But we have a, a very a very good example. Uh, Enrique Castaño mm-hmm. uh, has been very successful uh, cultivating tropical species, but he's a biologist and uh, he has a PhD. So that's the key. Yeah. PhD horticulture, biology, success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great. He's super talented too. I'm glad you brought him up because when I uh, I got to speak with Enrique when we were both in Houston for the ABS event in 2019 or 2000, 2019? Yeah, I think 2019 or 2018. Uh, yeah. and, um, and, I, and I got to see pictures of his work. He had some pictures and stuff. Yeah. And, and he's really, really talented. And he's over, he's near Merida, right? Or yeah. close to that area, and he was yeah. ta- he was talking about some of the nuances of that environment and stuff. And I thought, man, that that is somebody that I would definitely like to talk with more about, just simply to further understand what what it is he's got to go through. But I think what you're touching on is a theme around the world now, and that is, and, and this is the podcast that we released on Friday of this past week. Uh, Gareth Barber was talking about the fact that water quality across the world is not getting better; it's getting worse, no. right? Yeah, and uh, and that's the whole idea of aquaculture and cultivation of fish as a food source in in farmed environments. And how do you fix the poor water quality? And what people used to have to do to cultivate bonsai it was far less work than it is now because we've got to fix. Yeah all of these issues, you know, and we've got to figure out the ways to fix them. But I think inside of this, bonsai also has the capacity to be a groundbreaking medium because if we can make a, a, a higher quality water source for our trees out of something that's otherwise considered relatively poor, that might be something that we can contribute through bonsai to other industries, etc. Or we can pull on aquaculture or some of these other industries to find some of the solutions. This motivates me. I think this is fantastic, you know, but it, but it becomes so much more involved and that's where you're saying Enrique has a PhD. Yeah. How do you, how does the average person doesn't, we just need Enrique. We just need to talk. (laughs) We just need to talk to him. Yeah. Let's talk to him. Uh, Yes. I think that could be really powerful too. Yeah. Interesting. Lots of really, really interesting ideas and necessities to accumulate knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. That's doable though. Yeah, exactly. And, and for example, from the uh, design point of view, uh, in this case, uh, I, I think it's David De Groot. Uh-huh. 
David Grid is, is is kind of uh, the the pinpoint. This is this is the, the the book that you must have in order to understand design mm -hmm. here in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Yep. So this is more way understandable, and because we see like books like for uh, William Balabanis, they're too complex. They have a lot of of, of knowledge because he's a, a great a bonsai master and a great person. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to him. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, it's way too difficult to understand his books. Yeah. But instead of David, David the Groot, it's like, a, okay, this is what we are looking for. Mm -hmm. This is the answer. But we are missing the link between design and keeping our trees alive. Yeah. <laughs> Long enough to so we can apply those uh, approaches in design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, David the Groot is awesome. Yes, and Enrique Castaño, because he's, he has contact with uh, persons like yourself and other academics, he, he's trying to close on the bridge. Mm -hmm. But when he uh, approached to other enthusiasts, it's also very difficult to understand what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's trying to teach. Yeah. So we need more uh, kind of uh, formal education on bonsai. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're ever gonna write a book. That would be great. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're, I mean, you're causing my brain to start working and thinking in in ways I haven't thought in a while because I, I want to see you know empowerment of technique and and success in horticulture allows me to see that wild style that Mexican bonsai practitioners have to offer, and now I really want to see that. I want to see. Yeah. I want to see what that looks like. So that means that now, if I'm going to see that, we have to work on having people have success horticulturally and technically. So you've given me a call to action, and I appreciate that very, very much. And it's also just been really rewarding to sit down and talk to you, and understand more about Latin America and Latin American bonsai. Um, and if you're interested, I would like to stay in touch and see if we can't work on some solutions that can help. Uh, or at least put something out there, and that way, if people want to see it, they can look at it. And if they don't, okay, that's fine. But uh, but there's no reason to not work on it, you know. Okay, that's definitely will work. We are waiting for this to happen for the last 25 years, so um, <laughs> you're very welcome. <laughs> when you're talking to the right guy, we're gonna get it done. We're gonna figure out some solutions. Uh, I'm gonna talk with Jesus about this, and we'll see if we can't start to find some creative solutions for an interim uh, sort of opportunity to, to, to make some of our content available. But uh, we need a long-term solution as well. So I think that's what yeah. we need to work on. And, uh, and, uh, and I think it'd be cool to collaborate. Okay, that definitely. I am all ears, all hands, and I'm with you all the way. <laughs> there we go. Let's get it done. Hey, um, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for opening the door. Thanks for taking the time to explain things. And I think... Um, I think there's a bright future to be found here and we just got to get to work, but, uh, but Mariah's on the case, so let's get it done. Okay. All right. Okay. You're welcome. Very good. Very good. Shortly. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Well, you have a good rest of your night. Thank you for sitting down with us to podcast and it sounds like we're going to do something exciting here. So I'm revved up. Let's get it done. We'll be in touch. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care, please. Yeah, you too. All right. Until next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.